Let us begin with the Gayatri prayer. Please join me in offering this most ancient and sublime invocation. Om. Let us meditate on the glory of that effulgent reality from whom the whole universe is projected. May that enlighten our mind. For just a few moments, let us become calm and subjective, practicing meditation with devotion and determination. Let us offer together now prayer 125, which may be found on page 160 in the prayer book, Prayers of Self-Realization. I behold thy glory in the universe of thy manifestation, but only in my soul do I realize thee as my own. Creation, with all its lavish splendor of beauty and grace, fails to hold thee within its evanescent lure. But in my soul thou art eternally one with me. In the unfoldment of my divinity, I realize thy perfection. Thy reality is known only to the soul. The power of purity, the freedom of wisdom, the blessedness of love and truth of all thy attributes are revealed unto me when the light of soul illumines my heart. My sight and touch 
mind and memory, heart and feeling. Give me the intimation of thy presence beside me. But only in my soul am I lifted to the realization of my oneness with thee. The senses and mind give evidence of thy immanental glory. Soul alone reveals thy absolute perfection. The awesome grandeur of thy transcendental magnificence transports my consciousness into the realm of immeasurable radiance, wherein eternity merges with infinity, and I become lost in my cosmic self. Thou art my true self. Amen. Once a seeker for spiritual understanding asked his guru, how he should live and what he should do to realize God, how he should practice his disciplines, and so on. And the guru offered this simple response, Be quiet. Well, the simplicity of the answer dumbfounded the disciple, but it also inspired him. And while trying to observe this instruction from his guru, the disciple began to realize his own inner self. Awareness and self-knowledge came to him in this deep silence. He learned the meaning of the message, be still and know. In the silence of profound subjectivity, we do not merely enjoy the sleep of the senses. Rather, the experience of the sublime reaches into the silence within us, and it takes us deeper within the self. Like the fragrance within a flower, our senses, mind, heart, and soul enshrine divinity within the individual self. The body, the mind, and senses, these are instruments of God's holy presence. And when the soul governs the mind and rules the heart, when mind submits to soul and senses follow the path of divinity, we begin to recognize the divine fragrance. We come to recognize our body, mind, and senses as the garden of God. To be still and know. The mystic comes to know that true and holistic awareness of life comes from the consciousness that every expression, every perception, and every aspect of life is permeated by the same spirit that is within us. In this state of unqualified oneness, wisdom reveals reality. Have you ever referred to someone as a sensitive soul? And did you mean by that phrase that the person is overly sensitive to outward conditions? Or did you mean that person is 
empathetic and caring? Or does the phrase refer to the quality of one's soul, that it is ever aware and responsive? We all seek to be enlightened souls, but what does it take to reach such a state? We might ask the same question that the seeker asked his guru. How should we live? What should we do to realize God? How should we practice our spiritual disciplines? Shall we be quiet? Shall we be still and know? What shall we do? And how shall we be? This is the question that Leo Tolstoy explained to be the most important question. What shall we do? And how shall we be? From the Rig Veda and the Upanishads. From the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. The Quran and the Avesta. These expressions, these eternal truths, have been gathered for us from the scriptures of humanity. Please join me in offering these eternal truths. I am an absolute monist. I believe truth is one. Men call it by various names. God, Brahman, is consciousness, existence, bliss, absolute. Everything is the manifestation of God, the divine reality. The soul of man is of identical nature with the God of the universe. Make thine own self pure by good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Realize thyself. By the realization of one's own self, the absolute self is realized. God is the light of the heavens and the earth. He who realizes God becomes one with God. I am that I am. I and my Father are one. I am Brahman, the absolute self. We will now have a scriptural reading offered by Amaya Ball. A reading from the Prashna Upanishad. There are two ways of life. One is the path of the senses, and the other is the path of the self, mystically called the Southern Passage and the Northern Passage, respectively. Those who follow the path of the senses after their departure from this plane of consciousness, enter into another plane of relative existence, but they inevitably return to the sensory world. This is the law of the path of the senses. Those who follow the path of the self, aspiring to realize the self by purity, faith, and self-enlightenment, attain to the state of supreme illumination in self-effulgent, absolute pure consciousness. Absolute pure consciousness is the state of highest perfection. It is immortality and bliss. It is the ultimate destiny of all beings. None ever returns from the state of highest perfection 
This is the supreme goal. Those of the sensory consciousness think that the self, the soul, identified with the body, which is sustained by five currents of life energy and which functions with the aid of 12 faculties consisting of five perceptive and five cognitive powers, mind and ego. They live in the enjoyment of the senses, which is merely the reflection of the bliss of the self. But those who have realized the self know that the self is fully realized at the highest center, the Shahasraram, though it transmits its life force through the six centers of energy into the entire body system. As birds resort to a tree for a resting place, even so, all the powers of perception and cognition become completely established on the self when the mind enters into pure consciousness. Let us now turn to prayer number 44 on page 70 in the Prayers of Self-Realization. Please join me in offering this prayer. Guide me on the path of subjective illumination, that I may realize the divinity of my soul in the perfection of thy transcendental self. Let me discard all worldly thoughts from my mind and remove all personal desires from my heart, that I may come to thee in the purity of love. The objective propensities of ego keep my consciousness attached to sensory impressions and my inner self remains ever disturbed by the tumult of mundane hopes. Thy reassuring compassion will strengthen my spirit and give me indomitable courage to make the austerity of the way a constant source of inspiration to my struggling soul. When I turn my mind within myself with contemplative zeal, I intuitively know that all the attributes of thy supreme being are enshrined within my soul. Grant me, O God, the fortitude of devotion, that I may completely surrender my mind, heart, and consciousness unto thee, so that my soul may merge in oneness with thyself. Amen. At this time, please join us in singing the hymn, How Can We Make This Life Complete? Oh. 
Please join me in offering the prayer of devotion by Swami Yogananda Paramansa. Heavenly Father, may thy love shine forever on the sanctuary of my devotion, and may I be able to awaken thy love in all hearts. Om. Peace. Amen. What is intuition? Is it the light of truth perceived by the mind or a form of direct guidance from the divine? Who is intuitive? All souls are potentially intuitive, but for many, the faculty is dormant. It is undeveloped. Without confidence in the exercise of intuition, many of us go against this capacity of wisdom. We are closed to its light. There is a spiritual responsiveness in those who have developed their power of intuition. It has been developed through self-knowledge. And self-knowledge is possible when the mind has become subjective, awake to the presence of soul. The artist or scientist might receive an inexplicable flash of intuition that comes after prolonged mental preparedness but it is also consciously achieved and enjoyed in meditation. But it requires stillness. It requires time. Intuition may seem to come suddenly in a flash, but that does not take into account the time and concentration one practices regularly before arriving at such a flash of intuition. It is not inexplicable after all. It is becoming awake to life, and it requires practice to cultivate and nurture this wakefulness, this awareness. Practice centering life on that which guides and unites all life harmoniously. It takes learning to transcend the self-limiting concepts by realizing that everything is the manifestation of God, of one reality. The body and the senses are divine instruments of self-expression. The senses are not hindrances, but means of spiritual unfoldment and joy. The power of soul is not only for the purpose of revealing God, but also for inspiration and spiritualization of everyday life. The senses may falter, the mind may waver, but the soul is serenely constant in its aspiration. We let our thoughts rest in silence that we may hear 
the thoughts of God. We all possess the power of intuition. None of us is denied the reality of soul. The purer the consciousness, the more developed is the intuitive faculty. The soul's power of direct apprehension of truth is intuition. The soul's power of it, direct apprehension of truth is what we experience as intuition. Truth is the ever-existing reality that reveals itself within us. This insight or inner vision shows itself in different aspects of impression, intuition, inspiration, revelation. We often form an impression of someone instantly, sometimes correctly, sometimes falsely. And we may not always believe our impression. We may feel immediately that a person we meet is someone with whom we could spend a great deal of time, and others with whom our first impression tells us a very different story. Now, intuition is deeper than impression, but it is still often difficult to to distinguish the right intuition. Because as soon as intuition springs up, reason, which might in a way be its competitor, rises also and says, no, 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 it's not so. Then there is a conflict in our mind. It is hard for us to distinguish. Both reason and intuition have their place, their importance, their value. Often, as soon as intuition springs up, doubt and reason spring up too. So that inner vision becomes blurred. We fear being deceived by our own intuition. And so we have to develop trust in our intuition in order for it to become clear. Intuition is a faculty of the heart that feels deeply. We are capable of intuition, but our mind is so absorbed by so many things all at once that the depth of intuition becomes blunted in everyday life. It is a faculty that needs nurturing. As Gandhi said, it is not man's duty to develop all his faculties to perfection. His duty is to develop all his Godward faculties to perfection. And unless the development of the mind and body goes hand in hand with a corresponding awakening of the soul, the former alone would be a lopsided affair. When the mind is too active, then one cannot perceive intuition. This faculty needs a certain rhythm, a certain concentration. All living beings receive guidance from the spirit. There is a mind 
a divine mind behind all minds. There is a pure heart that is the source of all hearts. And there is a spirit that collects and accumulates all knowledge that every living being has ever had. From this divine mind, all inner vision is drawn. How is inspiration developed? By concentration. An inspired poet is one whose mind is fully fixed on the idea that she wishes to express. The mind becomes focused and inspiration comes naturally. We should not trouble about inspiration, but rather merge all of our heart into its beauty. To be so focused on that spirit of beauty that the inspiration may naturally flow to us. Impression, intuition, inspiration, revelation. Revelation is the perfection of insight. It occurs when we feel in tune with everyone and everything. For this, the heart has to be tuned. The deeper we dive into life, the more we are convinced that all is living. Whatever we see, whatever we perceive through the senses, whatever we can touch, it all communicates a message to us. The poet Sadi of Persia exclaimed that every leaf of the tree becomes a page of the book when once the heart is opened and it has learned to read. Thus, to develop intuition and to attain revelation, the perfection of insight requires opening the heart so that it can read the pages of this universal book. To the mystic, every being is understood as part of the divine soul, without even a word spoken. One who can see with insight has but to open the eyes and see that all is written before us. When the intuitive faculty is fully developed, one is ready to receive revelation. Those who have received revelation, those sages and saints, have given us sacred books. The Bible, the Quran, the Gita. Hundreds and thousands of years have passed, and their sacred teachings remain alive even now. But at the same time, we know that what they have given in the form of teachings is the interpretation of the living wisdom that cannot be fully expressed in words. One can only know that living knowledge 
when one has experienced it oneself, by the opening of the heart. It is then that the purpose of life is realized. It takes the soul of a seer to see through all things in life. The seer's eye is in the heart of every soul. But it is the attitude that keeps everyone looking down to the earth instead of raising eyes upwards. The tendency is only to see the surface, but the heart is eager to tell its story. Have you ever noticed that many people are unable to remember a story if they have only read it or heard it once? What helps the listener remember and grasp lessons and insights? Certainly repetition, but also by inserting a dimension of time. You will understand this when you hear the following story. There was once a woman who had heard of the fruit of heaven. She desired greatly to find this fruit. And she asked a certain mystic named Sabar, How can I find this fruit of heaven so that I may gain true knowledge and wisdom? You would best be advised to study with me, he said. But if you will not do so, you will have to travel resolutely and at times restlessly throughout the world. She left him and sought another teacher, Arif the wise one. And then she found Hakim the sage, and then Majjup the mad, and then Alim the alchemist, and, and many, many more. She passed 30 years in her search. And finally, she came to a garden. There stood the tree of heaven, and from its branches hung the bright fruit, the fruit of heaven that she longed to discover. And standing beside the tree was Sabar, the first mystic whom she met. Why did you not tell me when we first met that you were the custodian of the fruit of heaven? She asked him. And he responded, Because you would not then have believed me. Besides, the tree produces fruit only once in 30 years and 30 days. <laughs> there is the element of time. The knowledge of the time, the perception of it between the telling of a story or an event and its realization of its integration into one's own mind and heart, into one's thoughts. It has to be learned. But most people don't realize this. And I can tell you from my own experience, I may have learned a profound story or a philosophical idea many, many years ago. Either I read it somewhere or someone told me about this valuable lesson, but until I had the time to live with it, 
to understand it by my own experience, it would be fruitless. It would not have the meaning that I later would come to realize. It takes time to take in the meaning, to bring it into the heart, to understand it with the perceptive faculty of the heart. This reminds me of another story, one called Time and Pomegranates, told beautifully by Idris Shah, and it goes as follows. Once a disciple went to the house of a physician who happened to be a very wise soul, and he asked to become an apprentice in the art of medicine. You are impatient, said the doctor, and so you will fail to observe things which you will need to learn. But the young man pleaded, and the mystic doctor agreed to accept him. Well, after some years, the young medical apprentice felt that he could exercise some of the skills which he had learned. And one day, a man was walking towards the house, and the doctor, looking at him from a distance, said, That man is ill. He needs pomegranates. You have made the diagnosis. Let me prescribe it for him, and I will have done half the work, said the student. Very well, said the teacher, providing that you remember that action should also be looked at as an illustration. As soon as the patient arrived at the doorstep, the student brought him in and said, You are ill. You need to take pomegranates. Pomegranates, shouted the patient. Pomegranates to you, nonsense, and he walked away. The young man asked his teacher, what was the meaning of the patient's response? I will illustrate it the next time we get a similar case, said the wise doctor. And a few days later, the two were sitting outside the house when the doctor looked up briefly and, and saw a man approaching. Aha, here's an illustration for you. A man who needs pomegranates, he said. The patient was brought in, and the doctor welcomed him and gave him some tea, talked to him, asked him about his family, about his crops. And then the doctor said to him, Ah, yes, I can see your difficulty. Let me see. Yes, you need a special diet. This must be composed of something round, small sacks in it naturally occurring, an orange. No, that would be too sweet. Lemons. No, they're too acidic. I have it. Pomegranates. And the patient went away delighted and grateful. But teacher, said the student to the wise doctor, why did you not just say pomegranates straight away? Because, said the wise doctor, he needed time as well as pomegranates. <laughs> this element 
is extremely important. Time. We all want immediate results. We want that flash of intuition. We want direct realization of truth. But what we need is concentration, stillness, quiet, and time. Did the patient need time to heal? Did the patient need time to digest the guidance he was given? Did the patient need just time with another human being? With all of these questions, we come to understand that the soul requires time of inward restfulness, whereby we can nurture the faculties. The cognitive faculties must be trained, but so too must the senses be trained to perceive and respond to the divine qualities of the soul. These aspects of soul need time of stillness and quiet to become sensitive to and responsive to the reality of truth within us and all beings. Amen. Thank you. Will you all now please fold your hands and place them at your hearts with consciousness lifted to the supreme self of us all. Together, let us pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Grant us, O Lord, the realization of thy presence, peace, and perfection within us and all beings, now and forevermore. Amen.